We are back. Yes, it is Monday. It is 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, and you are here listening to Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of this glorious show that I can't thank all of you enough for uh, all of my devoted listeners out there and all of, all of the readers uh, that read my columns and then tune in or vice versa. Um, we're here every single Monday on AdrenalineRadio.com and AdviceRadio.com. Uh, plus, you can find my reviews and interviews in full and print and online around the globe, including MovieSharkDeBlore.com. And my trusty partner in crime is in the booth. Hello, Brian. Hello. Do we do we have do you know? Well, before we get to our to our all important Star Wars update, sure. Um, let me tell everybody who is joining us today. This is I. I'm just very very sad that they are not here in person, um, because the guys definitely have it going on this week on Behind the Lens. First up today in about ten minutes is going to be Dylan Walsh. You know him best as Sean McNamara from the hit show Nip Tuck. Well, he's now back with a film that couldn't be more timely, more hilarious, more satiric in light of the Republican National Convention starting tonight. The film is called Sea Street, and he plays a character named Senator Fallon. Uh, and when Dylan calls, we're going to hear more about that. Plus, as luck would have it, he is in Philadelphia right now, actually filming his next film, Fright Fest. So we can t- we're going to ask uh, Dylan about that as well. And 11:30, an incredible actor, stuntman, actor, and everybody out there that knows me knows of my great affection for second unit and stuntmen, uh, having come out of that world. Mike Dopud uh, will be joining us at 1130 talking about his film, Virtual Revolution, which is coming out this fall. It's been on the festival circuit. If you were in L.A. in June, you got to see it at Dances with Films. Amazing. It's a beautiful film. Think Blade Runner in terms of the look and the feel and the vibe. And uh, Mike's character is fabulous. Plus, he's got a few other things coming up, too. And for all of you romantics out there who love the Hallmark Channel, you may recognize him from Cedar Cove. So we will have them. Uh, We will also hear shortly, I got to cross one thing off my bucket list this past weekend. Thank you. Thank you, Disney. Uh, Robert Redford talking about Pete's Dragon. So we're going to hear a little bit of what he had to say uh, to some of the questions that I asked him about uh pete's dragon and about directing but first all right did you did you pay attention to the star wars celebration this weekend brian no you're gonna have to tell me about this what what happened well it's in london i didn't pay attention i figured you would be paying attention is this the one where they released the the toys (laughs) uh this is the big one in london where they had the panel where they uh debuted all the cast of rogue one yes i did see this actually i thought maybe you were uh talking about something else no, no, no. So what did you think of it? What did you think? Of- Brian is the resident Star Wars expert here. I, well, I It gets me excited just to watch merchandise be rolled out the way that they were rolling out. They released the Felicity Jones doll, and there's a cool photo of her holding it. But it's just fun to watch. Um, we're talking about Rogue One, right? Yes. Yeah, Rogue One. Because I remember there's also more news. They just finished production on Star Wars Episode Eight before I jump around. So I had my Star Wars things mixed up. But it, it's fun you know, to see the cast before I see them as char- mm-hmm. as the characters because like they did with Star Wars Episode 7 I didn't know really much who uh, 
uh, Finn Carey. What's his, the actor who plays uh, Boyega? Uh, John Boyega? Yeah. I, I had no idea who he was until Star Wars. So it's fun to watch them interact as human beings, as the non-characters, and then watch them, you know, totally convert into the Star Wars universe. But it's just uh, anything Star Wars is exciting. But me. now, you know, if you go on to that handy-dandy little site that I hooked up with last week. Yeah. Don't. Um, there's uh, no there's there's a ton of stuff out of london that's available on there oh okay all right i'm gonna look at that when i get a chance right now yes after after the show is done after the show or or during the show it no. really doesn't matter but so our star wars countdown and still you were at disneyland but there was nothing nothing new is breaking there yet no not even uh just since we're speaking disneyland they didn't even do anything for the 61st anniversary of its opening yesterday too much besides a little salute on main street everything was a little quiet on the on the disney front hopefully you know this means something big for rogue one at least but even for uh may the fourth be with you is a little a little lackluster uh, yeah i don't want to say lackluster because they had a lot of things going on but not what you would expect but before i get into star wars i have a let's see if this happy birthday ah she knew i was gonna do it i didn't know i didn't know you were doing that This is happy birthday, so happy birthday, Debbie. Thank you so much Thank for you. letting me be part Thank of the program. You, Brian. Now, see, if you really wanted to celebrate my birthday, you should have been playing the number one song on this date in 1958, which was... Oh, let me look it up. What, what no. was it? Do you know? I know. What was it? Purple People Eater. Is that... That's royalty, though. I can't... We're going to get... I know, but that's... Do you know your movie? Uh, I do not know the movie, but I do know that the number one song, The Day I Was Born in 1958, was Purple People Eater. And I have the original, an original 45 from 1958 sitting in my house. That's awesome. Either I was going to get you a vinyl for your birthday, too, but I was like, she's not going to play this. There were so many things I was looking at when, while I was at Disneyland yesterday that I was going to buy. I, I love, I'm old school. I love vinyl. And I just got, and I don't know if you if you saw... I just got two huge shipments of 45s uh, clearing out my dad's house. My brother sent them to me, and it is a collection of 45s that played on American Bandstand when it originated out of WFIL in Philadelphia. So I'm in the process of cataloging all of those now. Oh, bring them in, please. I just want to sniff them. I love the smell of vinyl. Well, some of them are so old, they're acetate. I just bring them in. You know, it it's but I have to give a shout out to the people at, at FedEx in, in Plymouth Meeting, Pennsylvania, who bundled this stuff up and packed it so beautifully. Of course, when you look at all the packaging, as my brother and I both agreed, it looks like they were all working packing things for Pablo Escobar. Um It came in with the tape all over it? Oh, or- it no, it's just bubble wrap, bubble wrap, bubble wrap, bubble it it and packed in these huge boxes. Because there's hundreds, hundreds. I'm sure your cats are all loving the... No, they they're like they're the... avoiding it. I, I don't think they like the smell of ancient old stuff. <laughs> all right, here here we go. When you were born, yes. the number one film in yes. theaters was, was The Vikings. Kirk Douglas. Kirk Douglas and, and Tony Curtis. And admission to the movie theater was 50 cents. Yes, well, which is why I only go to screening press screenings now where yeah. my admission is free. Yeah. All right, Star Wars. Happy birthday. Last. Yes, thank you. No more. I will bother you with. Okay. Uh, Star Wars, episode eight, what we're here, what I'm here for, and then I shimmy off. 
uh, behind the control room. Mm-hmm. Star Wars Episode Eight is 514 days, 12 hours, 51 minutes to go. And when I'm finished with this sentence, about 27 seconds. Ooh. So we are getting close to that. But as we were talking about Rogue One, that's 150 50 days, 12 hours, and 51 minutes to go. I got to answer the phone. Oh, and yes, Brian has to answer the phone because something tells me that is Dylan Walsh calling us from Philadelphia. So is that... Are we correct? Okay. I'm waiting to see. Brian's making funny faces. It is. It is Dylan. Well, we're going to jump right in with Dylan then. Okay. So we'll get back to Rogue One and all of that later in the show, but right now. Hello, Dylan Walsh. Welcome to Behind the Lens. Ah, thanks for having me. I am so thrilled to have you. So I have to ask you, how's Philadelphia doing today? Philadelphia is doing great. In all the years I lived on the East Coast, weirdly, I never spent much time in Philadelphia, so I've been soaking it up. Oh, yeah, and today it's like 100 degrees there, too. It's 93 degrees, and I was just at uh, Valley Forge imagining the winter of 1777. It was tough. Oh, you know, Valley Forge was one of my most favorite places growing up because I'm from Philly. You are. I am. I am. Uh, The whole family's there. My dad worked at local at Channel 6 for 60 years. Uh, the ABC of, uh, owned and operated. My brother works for Tribune at Channel 17. Oh, yeah. Wow. It's a great town. I really like the size of it. It reminds me a little bit of Dublin, just that you can walk the whole place in one day, practically. Okay, now I'm jealous because you got to go to Dublin to compare. I've never gotten to go to Dublin. <laughs> no, you should. <laughs> but you're filming Fright Fest back there, aren't you? Yeah, I am. Oh, And is that going to be something we're all going to love? You know what I like about it? It's both simultaneously a horror film and a satire on horror films. So that's kind of, and I'm the one who kind of makes it a satire. I play a director of horror films, and it's it's a great character for me to play. It's an idiot, but uh, it's fun to play. And, you know, it's going to be a little horrifying, but it's also going to give you a chuckle or two. Oh, well, I can't wait for that, especially after just seeing you in C Street. Talk about an idiot character, Senator, yeah. <laughs> Senator Fallon. And, of course, yeah. having seen this film, as I, said, as I said in the intro at the top of the show today, um, Republican National Convention starts today. This is the perfect film to be talking about today after the antics that go on in it. Yes, it's the perfect film because these hypocritical politicians, and we know that they're all up to the same stuff the rest of us are. And I just thought this was like this old-fashioned kind of farce, this movie, and I play the idiot at the center of it, this Senator Fallon, who is is not above reproach, let's say. And uh, it's kind of this sex farce with, you know, doors slamming and silly uh, kind of entrances and exits, and it was a it was a blast to play this guy. And I have to say, you know, this political orgy that goes on in an apartment is just it's just through the roof. You you throw Michael Gross in there, you've got Bruce Altman in there, yep. the three of you veterans alone. Just do you guys just go through the roof? Well, with- thank you. It's fu- it's fu- it's funny. These little movies kind of provide the fun roles. Uh, they're not about money. They're not about money when they make them, and the, and the actors certainly don't get any money. It's about <laughs> just doing something you, that nobody else will let you do. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because we're so used to seeing you. You know, most people, they know you as Sean McNamara from Nip Tuck. But, yeah. you know, I love some of your, your smaller role, like on Castle, when you played Agent Harris yeah. in, the, in, the multi, in the multi-episode Castle. 
you know, phenomenal. Lake House. You, yeah, that was fun. You know, and even Stepfather. But going back to your small stuff, when you were start early in your career, Betsy's Wedding, you know, yeah. you had a recurring on Kate and Allie, which a lot of people may not even remember, but it was a huge, right. it was a huge show. Yeah, that's where I kind of started. And, uh, and that's when I, you know, I, I was waiting tables in New York City, and I was working at the Ed Sullivan Theater on Broadway, which now Stephen Colbert has taken over. But, you know, at the time, I felt like I was on Broadway. <laughs> it was just Kate and Allie show, but it, it, I felt like I was finally kind of finding my way. Yeah, and you have you were one of those actors that you have managed to build a career. You haven't had to keep waiting tables all these decades. Oh, I'm lucky. I really am lucky. And you know, there, there's no one role I point to and say, "Wow, that's amazing." But I do point to the the whole thing and say, as a career and surviving and staying in it, and uh, it, there's quite a range in there. It's not all great stuff, but. Um, I'm proud that it, it links together and that I'm still doing it. And and you've you've made you've vacillated back and forth between film and TV seamlessly. Yeah, kind of, and then it's kept it interesting. This is going back, you know, 20 years when TV wasn't what it is now, um, and now it's where every actor wants to work. You know, um, it's kind of amazing. I've I've been here during this amazing uh, rise of TV drama. And comedy, um, and I've been lucky to be a part of it. Do you think that now we're really in a renaissance with television? Because you think, absolutely you think back, you know, going back to the golden age of television, and it was every it was at the top of its game, introducing new formats, new premises, and then we kind of lost all of that. And now it's the dramas. Brian and I were talking about it earlier. Shows like The Last Ship, it's exploding. Yeah, it's amazing, and I have to tell you that, that it's lured all the good writers. You think about each new crop of writers each, each year coming out of film school or wherever they come from. They're not, they're not sitting down to write a screenplay, because if they have these amazing stories, they want to flesh them out over 13 episodes or 22. And so you look at Game of Thrones, and it's just astounding what they're doing, the kind of boundaries that they're crossing, and... And but they, they but they also are are grateful for what has gone on in the last ten, fifteen years building up to that. I mean, shows like Sopranos and Six Feet Under, and and I'd like to say Nip Tuck, kind of pushing the boundaries and and setting the way for these guys. Nip Tuck pushed so many boundaries. You, I mean, you guys really set a bar that other shows. You were one of those hallmark shows that, you know, other shows then tried to to reach. Yeah, I tell you, I, and I'm proud of that, and, and that really goes to Ryan Murphy's credit, because he knew we were on a channel that nobody even knew where it was. We didn't have enough money, really, to shoot something that would look beautiful. So the stories had to be so over-the-top fascinating that you were not only glued to them that night, but that you would come back the next time. And he really, he really went out there to get your attention. And then you really pulled in a lot of huge guest stars, too. People that you wouldn't normally think would do television, and they were coming to the show. That's right. I mean, I think back early on when it was Jill Clayburgh, who was, it was such a joy to work with her, Vanessa Redgrave, Catherine Deneuve, all these, these people through the years. Bradley Cooper, who's from Philadelphia. Yep. Um, he came on and did a great, 
great stint on our show, and and we all knew he was going to go on and be a big movie star. It was, and we were happy to have him for a little while. But you're right; that was one of the kind of trademarks of the show by the end is that it had been able to attract all this amazing talent. Well, you know, over the years, you know, because when you started out doing shows like Kate and Allie, it wasn't 13 weeks of a show. Seasons were much longer. Yes. Do you find do you find it an improvement, beneficial, or more detrimental that we're now compressed into these mini seasons or these, you know, 13 episode maximum seasons? I think it's it helps, and I'll tell you why. Because when it was 22 episodes, the writers will tell you they would sit in the writers' room, and they would they would always have a good little chunk in the middle that was kind of just biding time because you want to increase the 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 um, tension and then you know where you're going to end but somewhere in the middle there's going to be a lag it's too much it's too many and you can and you know it anybody who's followed shows even their favorite really good shows tend to sag a little in the middle 13 is the right amount you can crank it up and you can almost sort of do one season finale after another for 13 weeks and then you're done (laughs) (laughs) so now what do you look for when you know to keep working and to keep working with such a strong body of work is it a is it the script is it the directors you know here you've got brett lewis with c street this is his first feature script for this one and you know it changes depending on what i've just done Mm -hmm. what i've just gone through and and what i'm in the mood for it might be After Nip Tuck, I didn't have to go and do a cable show. I'd just done one for seven years. So then going into Unforgettable on CBS didn't didn't seem like a betrayal of my ambition. It seemed great. It seemed like a very different thing to do. C Street was this little movie that had a character in it that was so different than Unforgettable or from anything I'd done. You've never done anything like this one. It was a big role, not, not big role like Lars, like there's a lot of them. But it was big and it was extroverted and it was a little over the top. It was a little bit like a farce on a stage. And I thought that would be good for me to kind of bust out a little bit. You tend to get very small and careful. You're on television and that camera's right in your face. This was a movie where the the, um, character, more than anything, attracted me to it. Um, And I also just appreciated that it was one of those movies that was literally uh, made for very little money. We were, it, was, we were, it was like a student film. We were just throwing it together the best we could, and I liked doing those. And, of course, the bulk of the film takes place in one apartment. Yes, it does. And we shot it in Brooklyn, where I had lived for a couple of years, so I knew that well. Now, you know, you've got a great rapport in C Street with Evan Hall. Did Because with these low-budget, no-budgets, you know, a lot of people think, okay, if they if you have chemistry, it's because you know each other from outside because there's no rehearsal time. What was the process like for this this particular low budget, no budget? Well, the first thing was that I was doing something else. I was doing uh, NCIS New Orleans, and I had about a month of time where I was doing that. And every day I would take an hour aside to learn my lines for C Street and, and try to imagine what I might want to do in the scene because... We were going to shoot all of my stuff in four days. For oh, the my scheduling. God. So it was going to be no time to mull over it and rehearse and, you know, dig and all that stuff. We were going to show up and just start shooting. C 
So we showed up, and, and Evan did the same thing. We showed up, and I shake this guy's hand, and immediately we had to have <laughs> rapport. But that's that's pretty usual in, in our business. What was great is that he was very respectful from the very beginning. Um, uh, he kind of came in and was very deferential, and and it kind of set the tone for his character, my character, and us two actors. And we just kind of, you know, you, you 20 minutes on a movie like that, and you're already bonding because of how crazy <laughs> it is. It's speed to do it, and there are no thrills, no frills, you know. Um, it was, uh, it was, you had to hit the pavement running, and we did. Uh, so whose idea was it for those very attractive star-spangled boxers you were wearing? Oh, yeah, they came up with several. We had to pick one. It's so funny, and, and normally... I, I'm I'm the one looking for the more subtle, <laughs> but this was a case where I knew what it was, and we had to go for it. And uh, each each choice we made, we just went we went a little large with it, and it was fun. It was fun. Oh my God! It's it, with that scene with you in the the red, white, and blue, you know, stripes, stars, the whole nine yards, boxers. I was just cracking up. Yeah, and my mustache. <laughs> well, the mustache, I had a really, it's like the minute I saw that on the poster, I thought, oh, it can't be real. And then I'm seeing it in the film, and it is part of Senator Fallon. And yeah. it, it just, you push this so over the top. It is just delicious to watch you in this role. Well, thank you. It's a, like I said, as a farce, and we don't do farce very often in America. It's really an English thing. And when you do it in America, it's a tricky tone because audiences aren't quite sure about it. And you kind of have to commit or mm -hmm. it'll all fall apart. So that was the fun of it. And of course, not just you have to commit, the entire cast has to commit. Yeah, well, that was the thing. And I felt a little bit of uh, responsibility coming in. Um, just just that I'd, I'd done a lot and and felt like I knew that we had to commit early to the tone. Again, just because of the scheduling, you couldn't you couldn't pussyfoot around. You had to had to get right in there and start start blowing <laughs> blowing it up. Um, now, and we did. Now, when did when did you guys film this one, or when did Brett get the script done into you? Was it before the whole 2016 election explosion? Or yeah. so it was before. So you guys were a little prescient. You saw the handwriting on the wall. Saw the handwriting on the wall because it's always there. <laughs> um, it's always there. There are periods in history when we don't pay attention to it or we don't know enough about it. But in this day and age, you know, it's, with all of the different outlets we have, um, I, you know, it's it's the hypocrisy of American politics. It's right there, and it needs to be satirized constantly. I mean, and this, you know, there there was nothing off-limits in this film. No. I mean, you guys hit on just about everything. And also the way it's told. You know, I think so many, that's the great thing about doing a little movie like this. Um, it didn't cost any money. It's not going to make money. So you can just choose to make it exactly how you want to make it. It can mm -hmm. be your own adventure and storytelling. You don't have to. It doesn't have to be formulaic. You know, a larger mm -hmm. movie with more money then has to kind of meet certain standards. So I like the storytelling. It's not exactly linear. It doesn't exactly all link together logically, and I appreciate that. It's it's more it's its own puzzle, 
Um, and, uh, you know, I, I like that. So now, where will you, what are you going to do after Fright Fest, after you have now perfected a character like Senator Fallon? Could we see more farce from you in the future? Or will sure. you go back to some more sure. traditional? Well, it's funny because I'm getting older. I, I think that now oh, no, the kinds no, you're of not. roles I can play actually get even more diverse because, um, you know, I don't think many guys get to play characters like that when they're younger. Um, so, you know, the greatest thing is I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's ahead. But, you know, I'm not tied to a series right now. I'm kind of just having fun doing different projects. And something like Fright Fest is like a, like a little um, CrossFit camp for acting because it's, it's just, again, it's not a farce, but it's sort of a, a very over-the-top character. But, you know, you know, I'm always looking for that next great TV show, a follow-up to Nipsuck, something that I would be proud of. And um, I'm just not in a hurry to get to it, but I'm looking for it. Will we see you go behind the camera, Dylan? You know, I, I've been writing some things on the side. One of these days, I think you will. I, I, I just think with all of your experience and your eye for storytelling, I, just, I think you would make a wonderful director. Well, thank you. I, I, I don't know if I, how good I'd be, but um, it, I think it, that might be a natural next step. So now, after all these years, as you sit back and you reflect, and before you go back out on set in 93-degree heat in Philly, what is the greatest gift that acting has given you over these years? What is it about it that drives you? You know, it's, it's, it's human behavior. Uh, it, I, I can, you can watch the TV and get angry, whatever your politics are, because there's so much to be angry about. We're so divided, and we're always, in some ways, going to be. Something about acting for me has been like psychology live or literature live. You know, it's it's physically getting in there and stepping into somebody else's shoes for a little bit. And and I hate to get too grandiose, but it's it's humanity. It's it's, it's a way of kind of traveling through different parts of humanity. And at the end of the day, <laughs> uh, I'm one of the people. Well, I'm so glad that you are. I have enjoyed you over the years, Dylan, in you know everything that you've done that I've seen, which is, Thank you. I'd say, probably about 80% of your resume. Well, and, thank you. I really appreciate that. And I can't wait to see, after seeing you in C Street, I can't wait to see you now in Fright Fest. Uh, good, good. Do you know when, that, when Fright Fest will be coming out? I have no idea. I'm sure they'll put it together and kind of. I don't even know the avenues that those kinds of movies uh, take to get to get to a um, premiere. But um, we'll you'll hear about it. Well, and I know right now everybody can see you in C Street. So when they get tired of watching Donald Trump tonight, they can, you know, go to, to pay per view and watch C Street. Yes, exactly. Oh, Dylan, exactly. thank thank you so much. This has been a real treat today. Thank you. It was a great interview. It was really nice to talk to you. You know, and make sure you get some soft pretzels, get some really good cheesesteaks, and yep. some really good hoagies. You know, and fresh. I will. And fre I like the cheesesteaks. i got to tell you, I'm getting kind of hooked on them. Um, yeah. Now, do you like them with the cheese whiz or with the provolone? Well, i got to be honest, and, it, and I'm, I feel guilty, but the provolone. No, don't feel guilty, because that's my favorite. Yeah, the cheese whiz, I couldn't go with cheese whiz. No. 
No, I I have never in my entire life been able to do cheese whiz. I have to go with the provolone. Well, good. Uh, have fun. And uh, I hope to talk to you again in the future, Dylan. I'd love to. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that was the fabulous Dylan Walsh. His movie, C Street, you can find it now on all the pay-per-view platforms. And we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Hi, this is Terry Crews, actor, former football player, game show host, father of five, and all-around big dude. I'm also an expert on drama. I know all kinds of drama. There's the good kind that comes with having a house full of kids. There's the bad kind, like season-ending injuries. There's the necessary kind, like having an agent in Hollywood. And there's silly drama, like the drama around my percolating pectorals. And then there's the drama you can skip. Skip the drama that comes with not having your high school diploma or equivalency. Find free adult education classes near you and finish your high school diploma. Visit finishyourdiploma.org. Or text DIPLOMA to 97779. Message and data rates may apply. Reply STOP to opt out. That's DIPLOMA to 97779. And leave the drama to actors like me. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ed Council. Hey, neighbor, get some sod put in? Yeah, it's Marathon. Yeah, that's what I got. But yours looks so much greener and thicker than mine. What's going on? I'm going to call the growers. Southland Sod Farms, may I help you? My Marathon sod doesn't look as good as my neighbor's. Are you sure yours is Marathon? That's what I asked for. Let me do a computer search. Mm, we don't have a record of your delivery. You didn't get genuine Marathon sod. What do you mean? Sometimes unscrupulous contractors, retailers, and other sod farms lead you to think they're selling Marathon, but then substitute a lesser brand. That really teased me off. How could I have known I got a cheap imitation? Look for the bold, genuine Marathon label on the sod pallets when they're delivered. Don't get cheated. Look for the genuine Marathon sod logo displayed by nurseries and landscape contractors at the Yellow Pages. Or call 1-800-4-MARATHON for a free do-it-yourself video and authorized dealer list. That's 1-800, the number 4, then Marathon. Or visit the website at www.sod.com. With containers, there are a couple of things to be aware of. Containers can be heavy and get really hot. A solution I found is the Big Bag Bed from SmartPots. They're lightweight. No, really, anyone from 3 to 93 can pick one up because they're made from an aeration fabric wholesale nurseries have been using for years. And they breathe, which is an important factor in developing stronger roots. Traditional containers don't do that. Grow this year's garden in a Big Bag Bed by SmartPots. Found at your local nursery, garden center, and online at SmartPots.com. And welcome back to Behind the Lens. If you've been listening, you just heard a lovely conversation with Dylan Walsh about Philadelphia cheesesteaks. Uh, he's in Philly shooting Fright Fest right now, and you can see his current film, C Street, on all of your pay-per-view platforms. Uh, see it. It is hilarious. And as I said earlier, with the Republican National Convention starting tonight, this is fuel for fodder. But right now, I am I am thrilled to have Mike Dopud with me. Hello, Mike. Hi, how are you doing, Debbie? I am fine. I am, I've been so looking forward to having you on the show for weeks now, ever since Michelle and I set it up. Oh, that's great to hear. Thank you. I'm uh, excited, too. I am such a huge fan of your work, going back to your stunt work. 
Oh, great. That's awesome. Because, I mean, I, 35 years ago, I, when I was doing production, I, I was working second unit with all the old-time stunt guys. Oh, okay. Um, you know, yeah, they're good guys. A lot of funny guys out there. So I always gravitate towards the actors that come out of, or the stunt coordinators that come out of that stunt background. And, you know, I see that at play in a lot of the roles that you do. You know, I mean, Skin Trade that you did with Dolph Lundgren. Yes. Um, that really gave you a chance to, to expand. But now with Virtual Revolution, I am in love with the character of Nash. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, he was um, he was really fun to play. Um, I was very really lucky, I guess, at that point when uh, Guy Roger called me to see if I wanted to play him. I was as soon as I read the script, I was like, "Okay, I'm in, I'm in." I mean, this is something. This this is different than anything that you've really done. This number one, it throws you. You are the leading man. This is your film to carry or to drop the ball. Uh, yes, that's true. <laughs> did you have to say drop the ball? No. Just well, kidding. you know, consider, um, you did play football. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know, I couldn't help my, It's I could, perfect. It's a great analogy. It's I perfect. Couldn't, um, couldn't help myself. No, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, no, look, it was, uh, I was really lucky. And again, it was, uh, you know, the leading role. And you don't get many opportunities uh, in, in this day and age to get a leading role unless you're a major A-list name. So um, I was really fortunate to get that opportunity. Yeah. Now, how do you juggle the different types of roles that you do? I mean, a lot of people, you know, fans of Hallmark Channel, they know you from Cedar Cove. Um, you've done Mistresses. You know, you, you have been consistent, you know, back and forth, jockeying all these different types of characters. Uh, but now with, as Nash, you really stretch yourself and you jump into an almost Harrison Ford-esque Blade Runner-type performance. Um, yeah, you know, it's just, those have been the movies that I've always been drawn to, those types of movies, uh, post-apocalyptic um, types of shows. Because, I mean, when I saw Mad Max as a kid, that was the movie that said to me, okay, I want to become an actor. Um, not a lot of people know that, but that was the movie for me that did it. And, um, so to be able to play a role like that, and then Blade Runner, of course, uh, one of my favorite films, um, Harrison Ford, one of my favorite actors, it was just one of those parts that you, you read about and you're like, oh my God, I'd give anything to play this. And, uh, again, I was lucky I got to play him. Yeah. Now, Virtual Revolution, I mean, he, re he really tackles a lot of very timely issues in the film dealing with virtual reality you know is that is that something you know in addition to the to the character itself the thematics of this film is that something that you look for when you're reading a script uh i wish i could say yes but not really i mean it depends right um i i look for a good script that's the first thing first and foremost um whatever the topic may be about because as you said um and as you can tell throughout my career, I play various different types of roles. So I'm not sold on just one type or one genre. However, having said that, I love working on shows that have great, uh, great writing, great scripts. And when I read Virtual Revolution, I just thought it was a story that needed to be told. And um, I believed in Guy Roger's vision. And I thought, you know, I think the two of us could put something together. Um, I thought, you know, 
it was really important. It was an important, timely thing to put across. So. Yeah, and this one is also, I think this is probably the heaviest CGI VFX film that you've done. Yes. Yeah, I would say. I think that's safe to say. Um, I mean, I was on Stargate Universe. Obviously, they used a lot of uh, effects on that show and, and um, Battlestar Galactica. And then 300 was, um, that was one of the fight guys, one of the Spartans right. on that show. So at the end of the day, we did use a lot of those effects. But this one is, is um, yeah, I would have to say this is probably the most, the biggest movie that I've done as far as his effects are concerned. Now, does this impact how you approach your performance and preparing for the performance when you know it is this CGI VFX heavy? Of course it does. Um, I, I'm always concerned that um, that it will look good. Does that make sense? Because a lot mm -hmm. of times you'll do these shows and, and you'll end up talking to an ex or you'll have to be imagining. And so where real acting, I guess, comes in is you have to imagine all these uh, scenarios or these buildings or, or, or all these different things. And I think... Um, the only thing that scares me is I'm always worried that it's going to look good if it looks good. And if it looks good, then fine. I know uh, as far as an actor, I'll, I'll do my work and I'll do my research and I'll try to do the best job I can. But uh, it's always a little daunting when you're, you're not sure what it's going to look like. Well, this one looks fabulous. Oh, thank you. I agree. <laughs> I think uh, the VisFX team did a fantastic job. It really looks good. And you shot this on location in Paris, did you not? Yeah, of course. It was awesome. Um, that was the other thing, especially when, uh, Giroja said to me, and by the way, you'll be shooting in Paris. Are you okay with that? And he was concerned about that. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I'd love to shoot in Paris. And, did, was, and didn't you get to shoot near or next to, uh, King Louis tomb? Yes. I was standing right beside it. Oh my God. And I got to walk through this hallway that apparently the curator was telling us that nobody had walked through there in probably about 30 years, and they wouldn't let the rest of the crew in there. I had to self-light myself. It was kind of an interesting thing, but I had to put up a light uh, basically to backlight me as I came through this thing. They let, me, they, they let us use it. And just the history in Paris and all the locations we had, we were so lucky to get these great locations. Um, yeah, it was... Uh, you couldn't buy that or you couldn't pay for that, you know, uh, and we were fortunate to get it. So it was really, really lucky. You couldn't build it the way it looks. It, it's just fantastic. So now when you're on location in a place like Paris with all of the history, you know, do you try and, you know, extend the stay a little bit, drag the shoot out a little bit more, beg people to come up with more money so that you can stay longer? <laughs> I would have loved that. I tried, but it didn't work. <laughs> I could have stayed an extra two months, but that would have been fantastic. <laughs> now, now, how long ago did you did you film this? Because I'm I'm guessing this probably was in post quite a while. Uh, ironically enough, it wasn't in post that long. So we finished shooting uh, September. Can't remember wow. the exact date, but early September. Wow. And, yeah. So it came out quick. I mean, uh, the team was on it right off the bat, and they just worked diligently because they tried to get it done for month of June, I believe, so well, we yeah. could show it at festivals and such. Yeah, because you, you guys hit the fest circuit, you hit Dances with Films, Yes, and now you're com it's coming out in the fall, I believe? Yes, that's the game plan. Uh, we're still working through all the details of that, but it looks like uh, it'll be out in the fall. So. Wow. No, we I... are excited. I am. <laughs> oh, well, you should be. 
Now you have you've got some really interesting. Well, a lot of the film you spend a lot of alone time in Virtual Revolution. Yes, a lot of pensive, reflective time, and a lot of time being connected through virtual reality. But you also have this great dynamic with, and I don't know if I'm saying his last name right, Maximilian Puyen. Yes. Yeah. How you know? Did you guys have any rehearsal time together? I love the dynamic between the two of you is so engaging and so, and you, it's very connective. You re- watching um, the two. Yes. Of you. We, I mean, we pretty much hit it off right off the bat. Um, we did have some read throughs mm-hmm. and uh, some rehearsal time. Uh, usually what we do is say we'd shoot uh, all week long. And then on a Saturday or Sunday, we try to get together on a Sunday and have a couple hours of, of running through because it was very dialogue heavy as well um and some of the actors were actually parisian or german and uh they were speaking in english so it was uh it was really interesting to you know and fortunately i could speak french so um it was really interesting dynamic to speak to them in french or half english half french and then work through the scenes but we did have time to rehearse uh and you need to do that because we don't we don't have the schedule or the budget to shoot for three months Mm-hmm. We had to get it done uh, in four weeks. Pretty much all my stuff was done in about four and a half weeks. Wow. And did but you... Max is a great guy, um, very into uh, his character. He studies film. He's a real film addict. He knows every movie. Uh, he can, he make, comes up with quotes from any movie you want. He, he's really into it. Oh, my God. He should have been connected to, through virtual reality into films in, within virtual revolution. <laughs> That would have been funny. That would have been great. Now, did you do all of your own stunt work in Virgin? Because you've got quite a, quite a few fight scenes going on here. Yes, um, and that was the stipulation, I guess. Uh, Guy Roger really, is our director, obviously, as you know, and he wanted us to, um, he really wanted me to do my own fight stuff because he'd seen me do it on other movies and mm-hmm. such, and he just wanted to clarify, is that you actually doing that? And I said, yes. And for him, it just felt like, it would look so much better if the actual actor did it. So I can honestly say, yes, I did my own stunts on well, that's on often, Virtual Revolution. You know, and that's, that is so often the case. I know for years, you know, it's only been the past couple films. I mean, Jason Statham has even had somebody else doing his, you know, doing his stunts, some of his more dangerous stunts. I asked him once about when would you stop doing it? He goes, when I don't think it's safe for the body to do it anymore. Well, yeah, I mean, that time, um, <laughs> I may have to go along with that, too, because uh, I made that transition from stunt work to acting. Um, I've always been doing both, but I really tried to focus on the acting because I realized, you know, after my career in sports and my body was already banged up, that I didn't know what my shelf life would be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, I mean, I love stunt work, and I really love acting. I'm passionate about acting, and I just thought it was a great transition. And I'm able to still do a lot of a lot of the stunt work. A lot of times, producers won't want me to. I, don't, I won't do high falls and that kind of thing anymore. Um, I guess at the end of the day, they can't risk hurting me. And and a lot of the big stars have their their stunt doubles work out everything, mm-hmm. and then they uh, they end up doing the stunts. So um, and that's sort of what I do on shows now. Um, I'll always do my own stuff, but every once in a while, I have a double that will help me through rehearsals. Mm-hmm. Which makes perfect sense. Yeah, because you get tired, right? Um, especially as a lead actor, you're in every scene, so it pays to have uh, someone there. Although on Virtual Revolution, we didn't have that. I did, I did the whole thing. Wow! Know? So Anybody are you? Else. So I'd are, have rehearsals with the coordinators, and that was it. 
Are you liking this transition into lead actor carrying a film? Absolutely, yes. Uh, I think that's the goal at the end of the day. Uh, I just love to work, to be quite honest with you, and I'm very lucky that I do get to work. But I've always wanted to push the envelope and see if I can become a lead actor. And uh, and that's the goal, and that's what I'm working towards. And I, hopefully people can see that in this movie, and hopefully they like it and appreciate it. You know, now, I find your whole background quite interesting because you also, you've done voicing, mm-hmm, you know, yes. but you come out of sports, you played football, hockey. Yes. How do you transition from, because there are many athletes that have made the transition from sports to television and film, not as successfully, and they get pigeonholed into burly walk-on person. You have not, <laughs> right. you have not done that. You have progressed in, you know, with leading man action, romantic interest with mistresses, Cedar Cove. You know, how have you, have you plotted this out or has this been a natural, things have just fallen into place for you? No, I couldn't have planned it out. Every time, it seems like every time I try to plan things out, it just totally goes off on another tangent. So I'm just (laughs) riding the wave, so to speak. Um, you know, you sometimes talk to your, your management team and, and, and your agents and such, and you try to get them to, let's try for these parts. Uh, and that is something I do every once in a while. I'd love to try this role. I'd love to try to do this. And they'll mm-hmm. try to get me in. Uh, and that's basically how I went about it. Um, being a, a leading man was something I always wanted to do. Uh, and then it just sometimes it takes time. I have a different journey than some other people. So for me, it's taken some time. But uh, I, be, I think it's helped me in the end because I've been able to work in, and do all these other different characters, and I understand what it takes to become a leading man. So it's a, it's a lot of hard work. I have a lot more respect for all these stars that do it. Are you finding uh, Are you finding you're gravitating more towards film or television because you've got a great mix of both? Yes, uh, I think at the end of the day, film is where I want to be, but. Television is so good right now that uh, it's a it's a I mean it's a one A and a one B scenario if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, television is so good right now that you're very lucky to get on a good show um, and stay on it. And there's so many good programs that that are out there. So yes, um, I think film is where I want to be essentially, but I love working on TV as well. Yeah, and it's it's funny because Dylan Walsh was just on, and Dylan was saying the same thing about television that it is so good right now mm-hmm. that that's where all the that's where the great writers are going. Yeah, and, and the thing with television that's great is that you can really expand uh, a character. You can really develop a character throughout you know a course of a season or two three years. In a movie, what makes it much harder and gives me a lot more respect for all the the leading men out there is that you have to come up with this character in the span of 90 minutes, essentially. Mm-hmm. And it uh, makes it a little tougher, but uh, I just love the pace of movies. I love, I'm still a film buff, so I love movies. So besides Mad Max, what are some of the films that have influenced you and your trajectory as an actor? Wow, that's a great question. Um, I'm a fan of... All, all types of movies. I remember uh, watching a French movie called Nikita uh, when I was growing up. There's another one that uh, that I really enjoyed. I used to love a lot of um, 
you know, the action movies. I think that influenced me, honestly, which is why I tend to do a lot of action films now. Mm-hmm. And I think that really influenced me as far as, like, the Jean-Claude Van Damme movies, Steven Seagal movies and such. Uh, those are ones that I always tended to gravitate uh, towards. So those were the ones that uh, I really, I guess, stick in my mind um, as far as my, my start, the start of my career. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I love, I've become a big fan of artsy movies and it's not always the comic book movies and the action movies right now. I tend to go away from that, although virtual revolution is a bit of both. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting dynamic, but for whatever reason I, I, you know, the action movies was something that was really big on, on, on my plate. You know, now something I find interesting is, you know, you did, uh, the sci-fi series, dark matter. Yes. And you, and you go into virtual revolution. How do you, you know, how does production on, Something like the two of those. How would you compare the process from uh, from an acting standpoint? Well, the process, um, as far as my characters, I, I I always look at my characters. I do what re- whatever research I can, and then after that, it's about relationships. It's about being real. That's the way I look at it. Um, so it's essentially the same way for me. Just that depending on the roles, I try to whatever research or whatever I, things I don't know about. Now, as far as Dark Matter goes, I've worked with the producers before on Stargate Universe mm-hmm. and such, so I've known them for years. And I know how they work, so it's, it's a really easy transition for me to get on a show like that. Uh-huh. Uh, the cast was great. Um, and working on a show like that, you know, it's a well-oiled machine. They, they know what they're doing. It's in there. And as far as Virtual Evolution, it was, it's an indie film. Let's not forget that. It's an indie film, right. and... You know, we had a lot of situations that we we're trying to uh, to deal with as far as location. We're trying to make sure we secure location. Sometimes we'd lose locations at the last second, and then we'd come up with other ones. Uh, but the team in Paris, they were so passionate about the film. It was it was a, a really great experience. They they were so excited to do this type of movie because they're not used to doing sci-fi films. So they were really on board. Everybody was on board, which was a great feeling. So now, what do you have coming up next after Everybody gets to see Virtual Revolution this fall. And trust me, everybody needs to see Virtual Revolution this fall. No, oh, thanks. Yeah, I think it's a great movie. I'm really proud of it. Um, as far as what's coming up next, uh, well, I am doing a movie right now. It's Untitled Siege movie. Um, I'm currently shooting that in Vancouver as we speak. And I've got a movie that I just finished called Project Eden which is another indie film, but I, I believe this one's going to turn a lot of heads as well. Uh, it's a thriller. It's a great movie. We have a uh, really great global cast in it as well. And, um, yeah, so Project Dean would be the one that will be coming out, I believe, next may is what we're hoping for. So what, what's the premise of Project Eden since you just finished that? It's, it's, a, it's a thriller, sci-fi thriller. It's about a woman who is dealing with um, her son who is in a catatonic state. And then she ends up becoming a fugitive unwillingly, and then she ends up going on this journey to try and figure out why her son, why is her son's catatonic state so important to these people. And I play a character named uh, Special Agent David Roth of the FBI that is basically on the hunt after her. So you go from Shadow Agent Nash to Special Agent. Yes, (laughs) Yeah, but he's got a bit of a, there's a bit of a twist and a bit of a, oh. a, a change of pace with uh, David Roth on Project Eden. So I don't want to 
divulge too much about it, oh, but no. it'll be um, towards the end of the movie you start figuring out, oh my God, this guy is not who he seems to be. So Yes, no, I don't allow spoilers. Yes, there you go. I never allow spoilers. So now, <laughs> as you sit back and you look at where your career is now and, you know, the progression of it, what is the greatest gift that acting has given you and gives you? That is an amazing question. Um, I think the greatest gift that acting has brought to me has been the ability to meet people from all walks of life and um, to watch a group of people. I mean, there's some people that were lawyers that have become, you know, grips. There's people that are, are producers that, you know, used to run an uh, ice cream shop. You know, it, there's people from all walks of life that end up, and then we all come together and we put together this project that there's so many things that could go wrong. That's what amazes me, too, is that movies actually get done or TV shows actually get made because there's so many things that could go wrong, and they usually do. Um, but I just love the fact of all the people that I've met. Uh, there's so many great people in the industry that I've been really lucky, and um, that's probably the greatest gift to me. So do you have a favorite disaster of something that's happened on a show that you've done? <laughs> Not a the, favorite disaster. A favorite disaster. You know, um, well, I remember doing a movie called uh, <laughs> Rollerball, and yes, yeah, it's a good story. Uh, I was doing a movie called Rollerball, and I played uh, Michael the Assassin in it. But also, I was one of the stunt guys because um, I could actually rollerblade, and I, I could do the whole a lot of the stunt work myself. And uh, there was one sequence where we were doing this the sequence with the motorcycles coming at me, and a guy coming by me to make it simulate like I'm getting hit by him which is Chris Klein's character, and then I get yanked on, on a cable, on an air ratchet, and it yanks me over. Just out of the way, so it's a timing thing, right? So I don't really get hit. Mm-hmm. By, well, <laughs> sure enough, <laughs> what ends up happening is we had, uh, uh, we, there was a mishap on the motorcycle, and the rollerblade that was hanging off the motorcycle had to bail, and he bailed right into me, and it was too late by the time the air ram went. He landed on me and broke my leg, but uh, we didn't know that at the time. We just said, okay, well, that didn't work. Let's go back. I said, well, my leg doesn't feel so good right now. And I said, don't worry, you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> and that typical stunt guy, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm fine. <laughs> and then we did it, and then when we realized afterwards that I had a, a fracture in my leg, they're like, well, what are we going to do about this? I said, no, well, you, I can't stop working. I have to keep working. Like, can't we tape it up or do something? Well, actually, you're wearing these boots that'll help, and I think we're okay. We can figure it out and then they did and it was uh one of the movies and the reason i i went through that extreme i guess even though i was in pain for a lot of it was uh my dad at the time was um was terminally ill so and he was in montreal and i ended up getting a movie shooting in montreal which was very really lucky and uh i was like no i have to do this movie so i can be in montreal and hang out with my dad so it it turned out uh that i made it through and uh we shot like for four months and and it was a great experience for me, although I was in pain for a little while. But, yeah, those are one of the things that when people say, I want to be a stunt guy, and sometimes you have to do these things, and, and uh, a lot of people don't understand that. Oh, trust me. I know a very good friend of mine who was a stuntman. He was doing a Tom Sawyer, Huck Finn movie, and he had to dive through a window. And when he dove through the window, it was a breakaway window. But when he landed, he shattered his entire elbow. But, oh, but they, need, they needed another take. And it's like, okay, and he just kept going. Yeah. And then finally, it's like, oh, wow, something is really wrong with my arm. Yeah. 
And it's part of the cut because you're the one. It's not even the people telling you you have to go. You have to do it, right? It's a lot of times it's they'd love for you to do it, but if you're really hurt, you're like, oh no, I'm fine, I'm okay. Yeah, just sore. Just hold on, give me a minute. Right? I'll be okay. Mm-hmm. And then you realize, oh, it's actually a little more hurt than that. Right? So do you yeah. think? Do you think it's like athletes? I think it's the same thing as pro athletes, right? And I think uh, it's getting better out there. I, I, people are better at it, and. and coordinators are, are really on top of things. Um, but I think it's one of those things that you're okay, right? I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. I can do it. I can do it. Mm-hmm. Well, now tell me, do you think we're going to see a sequel to Virtual Revolution? Well, that is another great question. You are awesome, Dan. Um, <laughs> yes, I think we're hoping. We're hoping, and uh, if not, this has as such a potential. movie, there's been talks as well as a TV series. So, yeah. Um, it's. I think it, it can go. I think we can do both. To be quite honest with you, uh, that's what we're working on right now, and we've been uh, talking about it and talking to some producers and distributors and such. So I think uh, we're hopefully we can get something like that. It'd be great. Oh, I mean, because the minute it ended, I wanted to see more. Yeah, you want to find out more, right? What really happens? What's going on? Yeah, I and agree. With, oh, that's great. And with the whole idea of being connected in the virtual reality, you can go anywhere with that. Yes. And yeah, we've talked about the different worlds. We basically had to simplify it for the movie. Uh, but we, we were just talking about this the other day. Imagine on a TV series where uh, oh. different episodes, you'd be in all these different worlds, right? You could go anywhere. Yes, I know. Okay, uh, my vote is in. I want a series. I want a series. Great, okay, Mike. we're in. Yay. I want a series. <laughs> Mike, thank you so much. This has been such a joy having you today on the show. Oh, likewise. Thank you, Debbie. I got to say, those are some amazing questions. You stumped me a little bit, but it was great. (laughs) Oh, an absolute pleasure. And I hope next time you're in town, I get to see you. Yes. Definitely. Absolutely. We will bug Michelle. It's a deal. Oh, Mike, thank you so much. And Virtual virtual Revolution is on my radar for this fall, and uh, everybody else needs to put it on theirs. Yes, thank you so much, Debbie. Yeah, go out and see it. It's awesome. It's beyond awesome. Thanks, thank you. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Debbie. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was Mike Dopehood talking about Virtual Revolution, Project Eden, Dark Matter, and all sorts of fun things. So, the guys. Today is all about the guys. So, Brian, do we have time for one of my most favorite guys in the world? We do. I sat down, talked with Robert Redford the other day about Pete's Dragon. We're under embargo. I cannot give you reviews or thoughts but to say, see it, August 12th. But I had a chance to talk to, we, we can do clip two. Okay. I had a chance to ask him with his, uh, about being a director and working on a film where he is just the actor. Here's what he had to say. When you come into a project like this, do you also look at it when you when you read a script with a directorial eye, or can you put that that side of you to the side? Well, that's an interesting question. You you try to put it aside. Sometimes it's hard, you know, to avoid the fact that you've directed a film and you have that that eye. You try to shut that eye down because you want to get, let the director have his way. But uh, sometimes you're lucky, like in in David Lowry's case, um, he was very collaborative. So he, if I had any thoughts or ideas, he would welcome them. I would do that with him behind, you know, the scenes. Uh, it's pretty hard to divorce yourself from 
your director's eye when you're acting, but it's it's a good thing to do. And I just had to sneak that in there since it is my birthday and I just wanted to hear Robert Redford again. Um, we'll, you'll hear more Robert Redford in the coming weeks as we lead up to the release of Pete's Dragon. But in the meantime, we're out of time. Brian is giving me the evil eye peripherally. Thanks again to Dylan Walsh and to Mike Dopud for being so fabulous today. And until next week, we're going to have the filmmakers of Seeking Valentina in studio with us live next week. Until then, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens. Mm -hmm.